Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. So, yeah, welcome to the Mac DevOps Book Club. Uh, we're going to be looking at the SRE book, the only one, I mean, the one of three books. Um, I thought there was only one, but um, the Site Reliability Engineering book, I think, was the first one. And then there's another book that came out after. And you can order them from O'Reilly or you can read them online from Google on their website. Um, so it's very easy to follow along. Um, we're going to try and do a chapter a week, but, you know, you can certainly chew on a chapter for longer than that, because I think mm-hmm. there's just a lot of, a lot of material. Um, yeah. Anybody, uh, get a chance to look at, uh, this book at all? Um, yeah, I read the first like one to three chapters and also I've, I've read parts of the book before, um, because I wasn't an SRE at Google, but I like know a lot of people who became SREs at Google and we're studying the book. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely not an SRE, but know people that are or have heard of it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm like, fascinating. Um, there's a whole study about looking after servers all around the world with a team. Okay, I'm, I'm suddenly, suddenly very interested in this topic. Um, yeah, it's funny how that changes from from not being interested to suddenly being very interested. How many servers like are you managing now? And like to do what? You know, it is, it's not even that many. Like, you know, in the, considering the old days where you'd be managing like from dozens to hundreds to, you know, I don't know if I ever managed thousands of Macs, but it was definitely in the hundreds um, in my mm-hmm. school days. You know, huge render farms and visual effects was still kind of hundreds in, of machines, you know, at the most. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think... It's an order of magnitude smaller number of servers now, but they're an order of magnitude more complicated across time zones with uh, teams that are across time zones. So to me, kind of like DevOps, the idea that, you know, or for Mac DevOps is like, hey, people are starting to write code in Python or whatever, and they're kind of working on it in Git and trying to work on it together. And we need to not help codify it, but help trying to get people in the spirit of working together. And that this is a thing that they can do. And it is possible. SRE for me was like, oh, this seems interesting. It seems like they've codified a way that we can work together as teams. As as Sophie said in one of our interviews on the podcast, uh, SRE is a good band-aid on the problem that DevOps tries to fix as well. But SRE is kind of like a good band-aid. Like, how do we how do we maintain, you know, uptime? How do we maintain servers and guarantee service, you know? So that's definitely what in, sort of in, attracted me to it. I'm I'm not looking after more machines or servers than I was before, but they're they're an order more complicated with an order of magnitude more people using them in a different way, right? It's not like computer labs or one to one. So yeah, without getting into the actual specifics of what they're running, um, it's just a lot of <laughs> Linux servers doing different things. But uh, suddenly, if one goes down, it's a lot more. There's a lot more impact. <laughs> You know, kind of like in the old days, if your storage went down or your Active Directory server went down or something, you know, like you have certain important servers and services and you have a whole level of monitoring and uh, how do you monitor them? You know, it's the same thing from being a Mac admin IT, I think, but just in a different uh, way. I mean, I think um, 
Yeah, well, maybe we could. Yeah, you could talk about Brandon and you too, John. But you know, we've both we've all changed our jobs probably a couple times or at least once or twice, and now our focus has changed perhaps, and that's why we're here. Why are we here? Record scratch. What what life decisions led us to this moment? Um, Brandon, you said uh, you had a, a like a job change, right? Yeah. So um, my job before this was tech stop at Google. So tech stop is their internal name for help desk. Um, so. People would call me and I'd fix their printer or help them SSH to some wherever. Uh, but I wasn't like managing services. And now I'm a client platform engineer at Airbnb. And so we manage a ton of services, which is more relevant to SRE. We yeah. manage our own MDM. We manage a bunch of Linux servers. We manage a bunch of lambdas in the cloud. Yeah, so you were mentioning how like, the impact is greater when you run a service instead of just <laughs> running MacBooks. Like, it doesn't really matter if it takes like five minutes or 10 minutes for your Mac users to get like the newest VS code. They won't notice the difference. But like, if MDM starts taking 25 minutes to deliver a profile instead of one minute or less, you know, that's a much bigger problem, as you were mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. John, you had a recent job chain. A change um yeah um it was a year ago now um changed from working in the education space at a university managing max to um working at unity uh software and stepped into a role of client platform engineer on a team which is um different too because i was kind of just on my own you know at the university for the most part i mean i had others welcome brian wilkins hey Welcome. You entered the building at one 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 one. Yeah. Yay for uh, reminding me of the uh, well well intended appointment today at one o'clock. <laughs> well, you were bragging about how you read seven chapters, you know. I didn't. I, I put it on a book on tape thing. I was listening to it in the car, which. Uh, <laughs> they have a book on tape. I was also mind blown when Brian told me this because it seems. Statistically unlikely for technical books to get audio recordings, but that's pretty awesome. Nice. Is that uh, where did you get? Where did you find an audio recording of the SRE book? Or uh, straight from Google? I mean, it's a Google book, and I got it from Google Books. Uh, with the, it was an app called Books, I think. Um, Whoa! Uh, it's just a Google app. It's all Google. 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 Nice. I mean. Also, Brian, you were telling me you're not convinced that it's actually a human reading the book. Yes. <laughs> the whole time you're, re you're reading the book, you're like, "Is this a human?" <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not. I'm not completely convinced. I mean, they have the Play Store, and then they have Playbooks, and they have other apps that are like, you know, Google-esque. And inside there, I was able to find an audio book of this exact same uh, thing here. Let me let me just play it for just a second here. You'll you'll see what I mean. Uh, let me go back in time a little bit here. At any point in time, a number of these racks are being installed or decommissioned. Robot. Robot. <laughs> Robot. <laughs> Let me put it back to one point, like point one, because I'm playing. I'm playing at one point one five speed. Let's see here. At any point in time, a number of these racks are being installed or decommissioned. Yeah, Both of these processes <laughs> are largely automated. Well, you say that, but my mom sounds exactly like this, so I don't know. <laughs> apologies to your mom, but there's no human that speaks like that. <laughs> This, yeah. The cadence is all wrong, man. The 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 
Yeah, there, there's definitely a very, very predictable uh, cadence and tone for everything she reads. And so, like, this has got to be some type of AI that's reading through this. Oh, well, yeah. it's not bad, otherwise. It's like, it's like being punked, but you're, you're, you're okay with it, you know? Yeah, I'm just going to play this the next time I get one of those bogus phone calls asking me to update to uh, <laughs> pay up my electric bill or something. I mean, I think the world has too many podcasts, including our own. But um, yeah, I think audio is the way to go when you go for a walk or I guess if you're still doing commutes in your car or something, then podcasts or audio is good. And I think for a recent uh, Mac admin conference, the Mac Sysmin one, I just basically download the videos and then like put them in a compressor watch folder and then just made audio uh, out of them and put them on my, my phone so I could just listen to the talks. You don't get the slides, but you still get to hear the talks and you, you kind of see the talk in a different way. But uh, before you dropped in, Brian, we were just talking to John. How is John doing now? I don't know. You, you sound awesome. You sound great. Oh, really? Even better. Yeah, cool. So John, when you were telling us about your recent job change and why your uh, perhaps interest in SRE came about. Yeah, I, I have no idea what I was saying, but I was, yeah, I'm at Unity now um, and uh, working on a team, which we're obviously using more services now as well. Although I feel like part of our motto or something is to use as little servers and services as possible as we can get away with kind of thing. But at the same time, I want, I want to, you know, grow in areas I'm not as comfortable in. So mm-hmm. that's basically why I am here. Yeah. Awesome. Brian, what, why your sudden or not sudden interest in SRE or did you have any job changes or? Um... Yeah, no, not not a sudden interest. I've actually been interested in it for a while. Uh, when I was working at Gusto in the past, uh, they had a well, they had a growing and, and eventually a well-developed SRE team that was uh, covering a lot of these topics separately from IT as a whole. And I got to see how they operate, and I got to kind of like understand a little bit how their relationship with the rest of the engineering team um, was. And I also got to learn since IT is commonly the first call when anything goes wrong. Uh, on on an internal tools uh, scale, if you will, if it's product, you know, engineering is well trained to handle their own problems. But I I, I got to learn when certain things arise or cer- certain tools are mentioned or certain uh, things kind of go up or down. Uh, I've been you know taught to contact the SRE team to uh, um, to t- kind of take a look. Now I also might be confused because exactly in this book they talk about trying to separate SRE duties from DevOps duties. And uh, what I think I also might be confused on is is some of my experience might be talking to a team that actually did suffer from that. They were com- kind of a combination of SRE and DevOps at the same time. What SRE is and what DevOps is or how ops, you know, is it GitOps or whatever name, you know, ops and, and those kind of teams, you know, are done differently at every company and it can depend on culture, quote unquote, whatever that is, how you <clears throat> make a functioning team. I mean, I, I'm probably the one who's the most recently interested in this. I mean. Uh, I you know, started the Mac DevOps conference because I really wanted to learn more about everything, you know, Git and cloud and everything and all these new ways of working. But um, certainly with uh, my new new job working with, uh, you know, uh, servers that, you know, a lot of people rely on and working with a team, I was like, hey, how do how do we do this? You know, and where you can't actually always talk to people, uh, you have to, you know, rely on documentation and good communication patterns and ways of like logging <clears throat> tickets and, you know, different, you know, different techniques. And how do you, how do you work with developers who are creating services and creating features? And, and that's one of the things that was interesting when I was watching the Ben Trainer talk about, you know, the keys to SRE, which I think, you know, as one of the authors of the SRE books, you know, he's sort of started the whole thing. And 
he was saying that some of the SREs uh, sort of end up or they, they try and walk a fine line between feature blocking and sort of service uptime. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, like it was a lot of new new terms for me that because I wasn't, you know, I'm not I'm new and new to this area. They were saying like there's like an error budget, you know, and SREs won't block the developers from releasing new features. But if they've burnt their error budget, then they can't release. You know, so an interesting way yeah. to engage, engage yeah. your team. Definitely, I recommend to everyone to to, to watch the keys to SRE uh, talk. And I was, we are talking about uh, the possibility of doing a watch party on that. If 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 that was nerdy enough for anybody, if they wanted to watch it and you know and comment as we watch it on the Discord, because that's one of the cool things about Discord is watching the stuff together. Just trying to navigate that sort of. I mean, I've been an IT consultant for a long time, so working by myself, which is not always the great. You know, you're always the smartest person in the room, which is not always the best best thing. And I know some of you have worked in larger teams, obviously, so you get the benefit of learning how to work with others. And I've been terrible at working with others, despite having great people to help my conference. But learning to work well with others is a skill, and it takes time. And and then learning, you know, like okay, how do we use documentation? How do we work together to log incidents and track items and plan? You know, and so any any tool that I can see that would help, you know, and, and SRE is definitely something. One thing I took away from this very quickly that I actually do incorporate to all the different sides, uh, BK and I were talking about, I'm just going to call him BK because that's what his name is on there. I do it. Yeah, yeah. you're BW um, and he's BK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm going to actually change it to BW. Real quick. B-dub. Yeah. <laughs> so the... The, we were talking earlier about like how does this incorporate into like client platform engineering, which is another strong interest. And I was talking to him uh, more extensively on those interests. And it, even stepping away from the, even those specialty roles, one of the things I'm implementing at my new role now is just a very uniform mode of communication and documentation and terminology for everything that we're doing. Because what we have is just isn't isn't that great. And w- w- if you're ever going to talk about a a example of scalability of communication and scalability of terminology uh, and expectations of what things mean, uh, definitely this SRE book really kind of drives it into the ground. Um, like you yeah. have to, or else we're miscommunicating. Really well, early. I mean, so often on Twitter, the, you know, the, to to borrow from Ghostbusters, the streams will cross, and different people from different areas. Where some people are Mac wow. IT, some people are filmmakers, some people are security. So sometimes people talk about random different topics, you know, and and then sometimes we'll use acronyms to describe something. You know, we'll talk about DEP or ABM, and as the Mac IT, but you know, maybe the SRE people will talk about SLAs and SLOs, and you're like, oh, or the security people have their own acronym. So. I was happy at my uh, new company that they had a you know, very good documentation system. And then there's a page of acronyms because I was like, what are all these words? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know? So there's acronyms that are defined that get used a lot. And then, you know, every every department or division or team, you know, had documentation to explain what they're doing. And so it really, it really helps when you, you, you know, you're onboarding or you get new people that there's processes, there's good documentation. So documentation, <laughs> another vote for documentation. Uh, one of my favorite internal short links at Google was uh, slash WTF, which was a wiki for all the acronyms you might not know because <laughs> nice. <they were> hundreds. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love That's it. Awesome. See, we That's actually awesome. progressed into a next level of documentation where we now have emojis that mean things. And so there's no longer any letters or acronyms applied to it. It's just a particular emoji. 
Um, so yeah, now whenever we talk about something, we drop emojis into the uh, into words. I totally, I totally get that because at the new company, I mean, I thought I'd, I'd used Slack before with several different clients and teams, and then with the Mac admin Slack, there's thousands of people who misunderstand each other every day there. But uh, this new company basically there's a whole grammar with emojis and with posts and how to make it sane, you know. But trying to figure out this new grammar, it was like another language, you know, like how to structure things so that, you know, they make sense. And there's a style, right? Like, it's like when I was a journalist, there's a style guide, you write in this certain way, that's our accepted style, you know, so for Slack, and for teams, you may encounter that internal teams use like a style guide kind of thing. Here's our grammar, here's how we're going to make a post, here's how we're going to talk to each other, and how we're going to signify that something's resolved or not resolved, or it's definitely <laughs> lots to learn when you join a new team. Yeah. Did you read the whole book? I have not. I've just. Uh, I mean, I'm. I'm. You know. I'm trying to keep us keep the surprise. I'm. I've watched the keys to SRE, and I've like started the introduction, which is as far as I got. <laughs> Talk about uh, OCD and poor planning on my part, and being busy. Well, there's a couple different places they mentioned error budget, so yeah, you'll you'll be uh, entertained to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I saw that there was some like uh, amusing little videos too on the Google site on their Google YouTube channel uh, where they, they basically in a fun way, you know, Liz the Gray and this other uh, dude who seemed nice, but they just did some very intro videos as well, described some of these like acronyms and how how to have uh, service level indicators, a service level objective, service level agreements. Um, I guess the ways of negotiating between the feature program, the, the, the people that are building things and then the people that have to maintain them. So um, it's, it's a way of, I guess, having an understanding. <laughs> yep. I mean, I guess we've run into this in the IT world, right? Where we want systems to run, but we have to make changes like updates or new new versions. And we want things to be to be maintained, but we have to be ready to fix things or make them right again when they're not. Now, maybe there's a bit more pressure on us when the servers and services become bigger. And there's more, you know, maybe there's maybe now thousands of people that are depending on something. You know? it's like, yeah, that's very true. Calling back to the conversation, me and Brian we're having the other day like a key to error budget is like having really really rich metrics about like what your services are doing um and this can apply to client platform engineering as well kind of something my team is struggling with is like do we have all the metrics we need to like consider the concept of error budget um and yeah. in a lot of cases we we don't because like yeah can you tell like in an automated way is a service healthy? Like that's a hard question to answer. I, I feel like it's an extension of the problem that I certainly had as a consultant and other people have had in IT, I think, or in, before I was, I was like using a product like Watchman or a product like Monkey Report, because I want it to report on things, right? And when I was building certain extra plugins for Watchman or Monkey Report about P5 for backups or different services and things that you know were interest to me, the, the goal when you're working with a programmer or building a tool to report on something, you're like, hey, tell me what's actionable. I need to know what I need to do right now. And I think that that same principle applies to now we're monitoring servers servers and services, you know, in a bigger scale, perhaps. But we still need actionable data. And, and I think one of the words that gets used now is also like, you need a playbook. You need to know what to do. If you're like an, a, a you know, an ops person on call, or there's like, you know, you have different services monitoring different things up or down, you need to know what to do about it. 
you know, you can, you, you can go look in documentation. That's great when there's documentation, but you also need to know, is there a playbook? Is there, is there a one, two, three, do I have to, or do I have to figure out what it is or how do I get that service or server back up? Or how do I deal with a certain thing that's happening? Like, that's really important. I mean, do you guys uh, feel like there's, that there's playbooks for uh, actionable items in your area or how is that handled? In the time that like, so I joined like a year ago in the time since I've joined, we've gotten much better about running, writing runbooks, And like, we have a philosophy about it where like, if you're a couple of drinks in on a Friday night or a Saturday and a service suddenly breaks, you don't want to sit there and like, try to remember how it works. You just want to read a playbook and do A, B, and C to bring the service back up. And I think the, the intro to the SRE book actually like, I talked about this uh, with the example from NASA, where like, these experts were expected never to click the wrong right. button. Yeah. But like, that's not how the world works. Like, everyone, even experts, are going to click the wrong button unless like, they are prevented from doing so. And so a runbook is like the first step in preventing you from taking the wrong action. The second one is like convert that runbook into a script, uh, but you yeah. need a runbook first. Yeah. Yeah. I know I was, I was finding that uh, recently there was something that was, you know, not breaking, but something happening in a particular way. And then, okay, here's the steps to remediate that. Okay, great. It's documented. And there's, you know, like a playbook or runbook or, and then and I'm like, okay, can we just script this now? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I'm like, you know, I'm typing in three commands. I don't want to type three commands. I just want to, <laughs> to type one command <laughs> or, uh, you know, so you start thinking about like, how do we remediate? How do we detect? How do we, you know, I've seen it. I might be suffering from that right now uh, at previous jobs and this job here is they ask to automate everything and I don't know what yet they're doing over and over again to automate. I, I need to, I need to mm. find that out. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing over and over again? Tell yeah. me what you're actually doing over and over again. I can help you automate it. Yeah. Yeah. And is it going to be like, yeah, like, and how do you automate it in a way that is, is, you know, is it a script or is it, you know, are you running like Ansible or Puppet or Chef or something, or, you know, what are you doing to detect and remediate? And I guess there's different ways. Well, the automation I have right now is to immediately put a Craigslist ad up to see if somebody <laughs> can come solve it for me. Uh, I'll leave instructions in the Craigslist ad for them to do it. So yeah. <laughs> Nice. Works. Crowdsourcing. John, uh, you have any thoughts on run books, playbooks, remediating actionable items? Yeah. I mean, one of our problems is like where to find that information can be like, cause we got mm. like our wiki and we have then, you know, the readme's and, the and, the uh, GitHub and everything. And then, yeah, it's just standardizing on that and figuring out where those things should go where they're most helpful you know mm -hmm. and all that stuff so that can be a challenge for us i think we complain about things changing fast in the mac it world but things change fast in every company and some you might be using one documentation system then migrating to a new one and maybe there's stuff in both places or maybe there's just stuff everywhere and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Ben Trainer was talking about like the absence of errors versus a, a reliability ometer. You know, like how do you how do you measure how do you measure these things? And you know, is is it is the is the point to make like the, 
to measure everything, you know, I mean, I don't know, as a philosophy student uh, a long time ago, I, 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 I railed against the scientists or people who like to measure everything. But now suddenly I'm in a business where we do like to put alerts and monitoring and we measure things, but how do we measure reliability and how do we calculate the, that uptime, you know, and that seems like a tough battle. Uh, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually appreciated the uh, explanation of why you don't want 100% reliability um, and why it's okay to have 99.99, you know, or whatever you can actually uh, achieve with the extra nine at the end there if you need it. Um, because uh, I started seeing, seeing the reality of it. if you ever have, if you ever try to achieve 100%, your your resources and costs and attention just go skyrocketing uh, as opposed to accepting a plausible one one hundredth of a uh, time frame down. Yeah, we have to think about the health of, health of the humans running the system, as Sophie mentioned in our interview, and she's saying that it can be a system that chews on people, kind of like in IT. You know, you just you're running ragged all the time. Or yeah, I well, I, uh, I sometimes and just to keep things as 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 simple for my teams as possible is that sometimes we actually do um, change ourselves in a reactionary mode where. All, everything is running fine until it's not, and then we can actually just take notice of what didn't go well and then go back to kind of how we were and with best effort of uh, performing. And I'm kind of being ambiguous here because it's a different team, CPE versus IT support versus SRE. The, you know, when you're running with best effort of keeping everything kind of status quo without forcing too much labor or too much attention on an issue when it's not necessarily needed, uh, for example, like staring at a LED light bulb, waiting for it to burn out. Like you don't need to do that. You, you just you just you check on it once a day, <laughs> or twice a day if you have to, depending on how important that LED is, you know. Um, and uh, and replace it when you need to. It's pr- probably probably a very simple fix to just replace an LED bulb. Uh, so the how many uh, SREs does it take to replace a light bulb or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one to count the error debt, and yeah, I don't know. Um, so the uh, basically, what my point is, I'm like, we have kind of sometimes we operate on a reactionary mode of if one particular problem keeps happening over and over again, then we can put more resources into it. But if we don't even know it's going to be a problem yet, we can't start to counter predict it because like we don't know how reliable it is. Maybe it's not very reliable. Cool, we can put more resources into getting it fixed or getting automated or getting you know something like that. Uh, and I, I, I use basic examples like Google Drive versus OneDrive versus uh, maybe an on-prem file service. It, you know, like how reliable are each of those in different scenarios? And uh, sometimes they can be very reliable. You don't need to put any attention into it. Sometimes they can be very problematic and you need a whole team watching over it. Yeah. I, a lot of my background was storage, storage and backups because backups because of the storage. <laughs> you know, it's like my clients were needed certain storage and it needed to be up. But hey, there's going to be times where it's not up. So what do we depend on? The backups and the archives and the many levels of whatever. But when people are dealing with SaaS apps or SaaS services or services online, um, like whether it's OneDrive, Google Drive, or or just some kind of you know website that's doing all your work for you. You know, what's your backup for you? You know, people depend on these systems and, um, you know, that, that, that can put pressure on teams. <laughs> yeah. The, the days of running, you know, storage on-prem versus running it in the cloud now or the days of running your own, I don't know, SQL server on-prem versus you could run something in Amazon. I think we talked about this before, maybe, Brian, we're like, what do you do when Amazon goes down? We're like, wow, everyone's down then, right? So you don't do anything. You know? like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you go for beer, yeah. You just... <laughs> Spend that error budget on a beer. There was like that recent internet outage in SF. I mean, there's power outages, there's service outages, there's DNS that can go wrong. There's, there's you know, data centers that can go down. There's um, the world is interconnected in different ways, and it can fail in so many different new, new fun ways. There's a rabbit hole conversation about interconnectivity of the world, uh, but it's completely off topic here. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, when S3 would go down somewhere, you'd see how much of everybody's in the world's sites go down, whether it's like a documentation page or a status page or a downloads page or, you know, who's using an S3 bucket for X service, you know? Um, yeah, here's one. I'll, I'll give you the intro on it and then we'll walk away from this conversation. But apparently <laughs> they've learned that the dust from the Sahara Desert that gets blown up in windstorms and travels across the world to the Amazon rainforest is actually helping to fertilize and feed the Amazon rainforest because the actual soil underneath the Amazon rainforest is completely barren of nutrients. So the Amazon rainforest providing part of our oxygen is actually being fed by the Sahara desert. So you're calling SRE teams across the world grains of sand. Oh yeah, dust even. Yeah, they're not even, not even worthy of a sand. <laughs> teams of dust are standing by, holding up teams your services. There's teams of dust. Uh, yeah, I think um, no more apt metaphor is needed. That describes us perfectly. Um, <laughs> you know, like uh, in my new job, I've been doing some support and 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 ops. You know, so sometimes I'll get an incident. But I can go back in the servers and do stuff, you know, so it's like two different mindsets is like you have people self-declaring they're having, I don't know, a question or an issue. And then you're like, oh, maybe I should turn into ops mode and, you know, and now investigate. You know, so. When you say incident, do you have like a particular incident process which like separates non-incidents to incidents based on impact and all that? Um, yeah, there's there's a couple of like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm I'm. I'll call myself junior or baby junior, you know, just learning. But, you know, as, as someone working in support, you know, you kind of would like log an incident in a in our system and basically go, you know, people are having issues and just start like start tracking it so that if it becomes an issue and if there's a resolution, it's shared. And then if there's, you know, stuff that uh, to be gleaned from that, it goes into a documentation system from that. So it goes from like, you know, triage system to secondary triage system you know, internal to like documentation systems that everyone can learn because, you know, Hey, and then it, 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 it's, it's a great system because when you, when I wake up, I can see what the team has been doing overnight while it was their daytime, you know, they're triaging and solving problems or, you know, and then the, the good thing is like when I'm working on problems and I'm triaging them or working on them or sorting them, then I can hand them over to the next team and they've already got like, you know, like maybe some log analysis or maybe some like, you know, points of interest and then some, and then they can pick it up. And so it's like almost the documentation keeps writing itself and we just keep adding to stuff. And, and when it works, it's great. And sometimes when it, what I found was most frustrating was just uh, for me, just with time zones, learning how to deal with this was like, okay. And I would like wake up and then frantically go, what's been happening while I've been sleeping. <laughs> you know, it's like just, you know, like trying to catch up with like, there's so many different teams doing so many different things. And um, I don't know, like a kid in a candy shop, you want to know about everything. And, I think one of my sanity saving checks has been, okay, just calm down. If somebody needs you, they'll ask you, but you don't need to learn about what is happening in the entire company and doing everything. And, um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, there's different systems to document that whole process, which helps. But, uh, and so, yeah, certainly, you know, 
if someone's chronicled something before you go, Oh, there's an incident, uh, or somebody's having an issue. Maybe this is a documented procedure and go look for it and then go, Oh yeah, someone's documented this before. And here's a, here's a playbook or a run book or a way to, to mitigate this problem, or here's a way to solve this. Cause you know, issues do come up a lot. And, and you know, the tricky one is when something is seemingly new and, you know, and is it like, do we, is this a first data point in a series or is this just a random data point? Like the one person that's having an issue that no one else will ever have, you know, at all. Right. And that, that could be, you know, also with servers and stuff too, right? Is, you're having a random issue. Is it random or is it just the first data, data point? You know, it's like, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a fine line. Something we struggle with is like, uh, I don't know, like kind of the structure of your company, Matt, but, um, for us, we struggle where like our support folks don't want to bother us more than they want to find out that it's a false positive if they report like a trending issue. Mm. Um, and I'm the opposite. I'd rather them have one data point and ask me like, does this yeah. look like a problem? And yeah, it's just kind of really hard with the first data point or even the first few data points to decide whether it's relevant. Um, yeah. And then at much bigger scales, like when I was at, when I was doing support at Google, like the people in my position, the, the client engineers would be like, yeah, we don't really start paying attention until you have hundreds of affected users <laughs> because they have like a hundred thousand like MacBooks to manage. So yeah, there's a lot of like different things that factor into, you know, how you start deciding whether it's an incident or not. So what I do is is I freak out at every data point, no matter what it is. <laughs> and then when more start rolling in, I get to be like, I told you so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the the butterfly that flaps its wings and makes a tsunami happen. I myself have been a one-man wrecking crew in server rooms all over the world. Um, you know, and, and so as a consultant, and uh, I, I got to this technique where if I did anything, I would document it feverishly for my clients because... If I did something wrong, I want to know about it later when I look at my own documentation for what I did, because, you know, you make your best decisions about how to do things, build things, break things, fix things. But maybe you you made a wrong decision. And then if you look back later and you see your chronicle of what you did, you can go, oh, yeah, in light of this new information, what I did was wrong. Or if an incident happens after you do something, you go like, oh, well, I documented what I did. So and there was an incident, then it's obviously something to do with that I did. And I broke a lot of things in my time. So you know, it's good. It's good. Uh, you know, when you can see a list of what you've done or what's been done so that you can easily undo things instead of hiding them or, you know, pretending like you didn't do anything. That's not really helpful. Right. So it's definitely, it's definitely nice. Like, like when I see people fixing stuff, I, I want them to, to chronically because maybe that's the perfect fix and it fixes other things, or maybe it's not the right fix, but somehow you fix it anyway. You know, sometimes we do that in it, right? You, you think you fixed it because yep. you did X, but maybe it actually was fixed because something else, right? We don't know. Right. And so it's good to document. I still bill for the full hour though when that happens. <laughs> definitely, definitely bill for the full hour. But yeah, I think documenting how you fix stuff, it really helps. And so sometimes I've seen stuff being fixed and I want to document it. I just take a note, this, you know, incident, this was a resolution so that we can learn from it. And maybe this resolution is, or this incident was similar to this other thing, but we don't know yet, but maybe there's something that we can learn from it. But it's hard for me as a former consultant IT where, yeah, I jump on anything immediately and just fix it no matter what the cost, because that's my job is just make things work to now having to step back and look at a larger system. Um, and to try and chill a bit, which is difficult for me, but you know, and just sort of watch uh, and see and 
Because, yeah, you jump in, you can break things, and I have. It's still me. <laughs> oh, I have. Yeah, I have. Faith. I, I try to walk carefully, but I definitely have gone in and pushed buttons, buttons thinking that it was the right thing to do, and I, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. So how do we deal with those kind of situations? You know, um, how, how have you dealt with that, Brian? I've gone to therapy. Uh, um, <laughs> this is therapy, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. I uh, well, I in the past couple of times I've done this was because I was so trained to do things a certain way at my previous job that I didn't realize that being in the new environment that the same training that I had at my previous job was actually going to be problematic in the new environment because it wasn't set up the same way. So, the things that were considered best practices, things that were considered you know, you know, the best way to do things industry-wide even, um, we're not set up completely this way at this new place. And then I was like, so I went and pushed a button thinking I was doing the right thing. I was going to be like, I'm going to be a hero. And I wasn't. I broke everything. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Back, back to the SRE book, like, don't be a hero. I don't remember what chapter that's mentioned at, but like... <laughs> they actually mentioned that well. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, what that quote means, like, don't be a hero, is if a heroic action will like fix an incident it means like you haven't managed the system in a healthy way up until that point like you want to make sure that you ahead of time like deal with scaling issues and make sure your application is stable um and, so that you can avoid having to be a hero like in the middle of the night by doing some crazy thing yes it's true well, that, that's a perfect segue into, uh, you know, what's more important, new features or uptime and stability? Come on, right? Well, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a half-half. Uh, if, if you talk about the extreme, wait, well, let's just put new features in and everybody keeps uploading, everybody keeps uploading, everybody keeps uploading new features, new features, new features, and then the, 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 uh, the actual uptime is, is subpar because we keep uploading new features and the user experience is horrible and uh, doomed to fail because it just has a bad, such a bad reputation. Go the other way, and if there's no developments and no new features being added, then the app gets boring and never gets developed. And so you have to have this kind of like this middle ground. You have to. So wise, Brian. Thank you. I was talking about actually the two different types of lattes I get at Starbucks. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, if going the other way, if you uh, uh, if you have a brand new app, and I'm just trying to think of like the genesis of a new company, a new SaaS app, uh, up and growing companies, of course they have to develop new things. They have to build scalability. They have to you know do all kinds of things. So updates and new features doesn't always mean customer facing stuff. Sometimes it's just back end stuff. But if you're not allowing you know innovation to happen because you want everything to run. I mean, I, I've joined a new team and I'm so impressed, like, you know, how well they've automated stuff and how well they built systems. And I think, you know, when you're a new, new company or just a smaller company, you know, you're, 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 it depends on how well you can execute, right? You're in the market and you want how, you know, reliability and features also is execution, right? So you're building a product and you want to, want it to work well. You want to onboard people or you want to bring people into your service or you want to, you want them to have a good experience and, how well you can deal with them. Do you respond to customer support? <laughs> you know, all those, there's different metrics, yes. right? <laughs> it's like some companies you never hear from, right? So you have to go on Twitter and complain about them and that's not great, right? So you want, you want responsive trouble fixing, whatever it is. But that's, that's ironic because it's Twitter I never hear from. So I always have to go on Twitter and complain about that. Never mind. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, Twitter. 
The difference between automation and autonomous, like nothing to do with AI, is automated systems are like, you can trigger them to do something and the hundred commands you might have had to run before is now a button. But autonomous systems are like, the system might be able to detect when it's in a situation where it needs to do a thing and you don't even have to click a button, the system will just do that for you, like automated rollbacks or something. No, we got to define our terms. Um, I haven't met an autonomous system I like yet. No, I haven't met uh, like a, a super autonomous system yet. And I don't think certainly the tools I'm working with, you know, they're still requiring humans to make decisions, uh, but they make, you know, when they're set up in an automated <laughs> fashion, they can certainly make our jobs easier, but it would certainly, it would be awesome if we could, I guess, in some ways get to a more autonomous system that we can just. I have this image in my head of an automated rollback being similar to like when you change the settings on your monitor and it gives you that 14 second window to click the KES <laughs> setting where like you allow an engineering team to update whole new features, but unless somebody's there to be like, yeah, okay, nothing broke, it's just going to automatically roll back and continue on as if nothing ever happened. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just grateful for the fact that we can roll back and then the next level would be yeah, automated rollbacks. You know, like when you back up stuff, you're like, yeah, great. Um, if I can restore, that's even better. But, you know, an automatic restore would be the best, you know, and a, a system that, you know, automatically re-imaged itself and reprovisions its storage or re-set up its services. I mean, I mean, I've seen some really awesome stuff with, you know, Ansible and, and different systems like that that can really, you know, reconstruct things like really well or... Um, but nothing autonomous yet, uh, BK. You have to unleash this on us. Uh, my like my team doesn't use any of this sort of stuff. Um, it might be a factor of like we're, we're not managing that many services um, as compared to like our production team who manages like our like major product. Um, but they use uh, Spinnaker for deploying that product, and one of the features of Spinnaker is like let's deploy to 5% of users. And mm. if suddenly a bunch of metrics like completely go to the trash, let's roll back from that 10% to zero and figure out why the metrics went to crap. But in the meantime, those users who might've had a, like a bad experience on the website are now back to the old experience. And that didn't require a human to like roll back. It just happened. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it's kind of like the the the, the sharding uh, aspect with right. Monkey or something, where you could <laughs> deploy this new app to you know in production and just delete you know to a certain segment or a certain population. Um, if you could do that live with like a, yeah a, another app or a service or a web app or what anything yeah and and and, roll, and get the metrics and roll back. Um, yeah, I guess that's that that would be lovely if if we had more of that more of that please. Something I was kind of like debating with uh, Brian was like. Do we in our jobs have enough scale to necessitate systems like that? Like, you know, like Google.com does. Do we as client platform engineers? Maybe not. I don't know, man. Like even a tool like Monkey where, you know, you have to put in a bit of effort to set it up and you know, you're you're automating the deployment, you know, and with maybe with Monkey Port, the reporting on stuff. And if I had to set up more than two or three machines for a, even a small client, I'd set up Monkey because I was like, man, it just does the work for you. Do it once and, you know, you get a repeatable benefit. Um, um, you know, it doesn't take thousands for it to be necessary, but... I mean, every every bit of automation takes a long time. Sometimes it takes us forever to write the perfect script or automation system where if we'd done it manually, it would have taken less time. But we're counting on the fact that we have to do it again or it needs to be re repeatable or idempotent. You know, we want the results to be the same every time we do it, which is not always the same when you do it manually, I guess. 
Um, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. Like monkey is a worthy investment and like there's a bunch of automated systems that are worthy investments. It's just like at some point there are diminishing returns from trying to add automation. Uh, like it's just when, when is that for yeah. our roles? I, I think I was looking at the, the, the SRE book and I think it was the first quote that set me off. I was, you know, it was just like, yeah, something about how users, it was like a, a truth universally acknowledged is that systems do not run themselves. I'm like, really? Is that acknowledged? Like maybe it's just the different clients that I've had, you know, with storage and storage systems, but people still want the perfect appliance. They want a toaster. They re- Everybody wants a toaster. It makes toast until you physically take that toaster and smash it into pieces, kind of like office space with the printer. Um, that toaster makes toast. <laughs> and. You know, when I have to explain to people that, you know, well, I have to check your backups, make sure they're working, or I have to check you and restore your files, or I have to manage your archives, or I have to like check your servers, or I have to make sure things are good. People are like, they look at me like, what do you mean? It's not a toaster, right? Like, so I think that, that it's not a universally acknowledged truth that systems don't run themselves. Some people think they just run themselves. <laughs> I mean, they might be too used to personal computers that, you know, don't always need that much maintenance. Little, little do they know. Yeah. I guess we all run into systems that we don't understand or we use for the first time. And we're like, what the hell is wrong with this system? You know, it's something different or new. It's not working. Or we all have a frustrating moment with a program or uh, something. But uh, there's at some point where you realize it's it's not a toaster you're dealing with. It's not a, a lever that drops the toast down and turns on electricity and makes your toast. But it's a more complicated system that needs care and feeding. And, you know, BK's autonomous robots are looking after it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> BK's bot army. John, man, jump in. I, I, honestly, I was right before this, I was working on some auto package stuff and like trying to like basically like setting up my machine again because I got uh, one of those fancy new MacBook things. And <laughs> like, I have to remember like how to do everything in auto packaging, <laughs> which comes back to the run book. But I, yeah, thankfully, we have our auto packaging in like GitHub Actions, so I can just like basically do what the actions are doing on my machine and have it set up that way. So that was cool. Um, and then also, or like earlier today, I was working on pulling some statistics for someone out of a couple different APIs, and that was like one of those choices too, where you have to say like, it takes me you know five minutes to pull these out, um, and we only need these statistics for like a week or two. Um, you know, and like we only need to pull them two or three times a week. So, like, do I really want to like connect also like the Google Sheets API into here and then like um, automate everything, um, even a trigger, you know, once a day or whatever? But the answer is yes because it's fun, but no because I, as you right. allude to, it's impractical. Yeah, I would love to do that and just like automate all of the, all of that and then like make make that something that when people ask for things like we can just kind of apply that pattern to you know maybe someday but um because we i i've had to you know handle a few of these requests in the past month or so so um so maybe but i i don't know if it would be like (laughs) these tools like google sheets and and whatnot that would be do be doing that but um yeah, it definitely makes me want to do it. <laughs> just make it all automated, though. 
Yeah. I mean, the, the expression like automate yourself out of a job sounds like, you know, you're losing your job because you've written a script to replace yourself or, but I think, you know, the, the, the second part of that is people are like, yeah, automate your job so that you can do another job or another more interesting part of the same job. And I get that feeling when I'm clicking through something, doing an action over and over. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's gotta be a way to automate this. Why am I clicking through this to like export some data or do this, you know, and you know, it's, it may be true that I've spent weeks working on this API to try and automate this thing that, you know, I was grumbling, grumbling about like spending a couple hours clicking through something. And I'm like, I got to automate this. It's got to be better. But, you know, weeks later, still trying to like perfect an API to uh, you know grab all this data, do it in an automated fashion. But somewhere a future me will thank me, uh, you know, for doing the work now. But yeah, there's definitely a few XKCD comics about this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, such is life. Thank you. Uh, you BK's bot army delivers the XKCD. <laughs> I think we have a new new T-shirt. Uh, new new T-shirt ideas for uh, Mac DevOps. Oh hey, BK's bot army. Is that the quote yeah. for this? Like, I think so. Episode? It has to be. Yeah, <laughs> BK's bot army. <laughs> yeah. It's all about no finding one the tagline. What it means, and it doesn't mean anything. But it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it's like, a good one. The Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast is looking for sponsors. Support and encourage developers in IT to work together to solve problems for our community by sponsoring Mac DevOps. If you're interested in sponsoring the Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast, send an email to hello at mdoyvr.com. Thank you to our awesome Mac DevOps sponsors. For the 2021 Mac DevOps conference, we would like to thank Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor. We're also grateful for Mac Stadium's sponsorship of our hack night. Thank you, Max Stadium. Visit them at maxstadium.com. Our gold sponsor is Flow Swiss AG with their Mac Bare Metal instance. Thank you, Flow Swiss AG. Visit them at flow.swiss/mac-bare-metal. Thank you to our silver sponsor, Simple MDM. Visit them at simplemdm.com. Thank you to our bronze sponsor, Teradici. Visit them at teradici.com. Our live feed is sponsored by Fleet DM. Visit them at fleetdm.com. And this year, our MDM panel is sponsored by Adagy. Visit them at adagy.com. Please take a moment to visit all of our sponsors. We could not hold Mac DevOps YVR without the support of our sponsors. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by J.D. Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. Now that the bots are here, there's no chance I'm going to say anything smart.